You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's August 19th. More than 66,000 people experience homelessness on any given night in Los Angeles County. So far, policies to reduce homelessness haven't slowed the growth of this problem. The population of unhoused people has steadily increased over the past decade, and Los Angeles County's unsheltered population is now the largest in the country. Homelessness is a complex problem. One of the many factors driving the crisis is incarceration, which increases the likelihood of homelessness and vice versa. One L.A. program focused on breaking this cycle, providing permanent supportive housing to more than 300 people who were previously in county jails. The target population for the program was people with a history of homelessness and one or more diagnosable chronic behavioral or physical health conditions. A new RAND study examined this program over a two-year period and found that it achieved a one-year housing stability rate of 82%. It also appears that the program significantly reduced participants' use of county services, such as emergency shelters and inpatient hospital care. The reductions offset much of the program costs and may lead to lower taxpayer spending on these services. Our results suggest that providing permanent supportive housing may be a feasible alternative to incarceration for many people suffering from chronic health conditions. The study also points toward the need for outpatient mental health services and probation services among the population placed in permanent supportive housing. If programs like this one expand, then those services would also need to grow. When Russia invaded Ukraine in February, the Kremlin had nearly all of its soldiers surge simultaneously and rapidly to fight along multiple fronts. And it did so without taking necessary protective measures, such as clearing routes of explosives. Almost immediately, the Russian military took on more than it could bear. Its troops were vulnerable to ambushes, counterattacks, and severe logistical problems. Six months later, has Moscow learned from its mistakes? Perhaps not, says Rand Staramasico, as Russia's depleted forces appear to be readying for yet another untenable mission, annexing and holding key territory in several regions in eastern and southern Ukraine. According to Masico, taking this critical territory will require substantial amounts of manpower and armored equipment, both of which the Kremlin is lacking. And overall, there's a mismatch between Russia's goals and its ability to deliver. Ukraine may have a more sustainable position than Moscow as the conflict enters this new critical phase, but its success is far from guaranteed. The sad reality, Masico concludes, is that Russia's mission to annex these key regions is likely just one phase in Putin's much longer project. Quote, both Ukraine and its backers must be prepared for a protracted war. Despite poor job satisfaction, teachers do not appear to be leaving their jobs at higher rates than before the pandemic. But low morale among America's educators in the COVID-19 era is still a big problem, say RAND experts. For example, if educators are burnt out, it can negatively affect student achievement. Additionally, low morale among educators might dissuade others from entering the field in the future. 
It's worth noting that not all educators' morale has been equally affected by the pandemic. Rand's survey data has shown that morale has significantly declined among principals and teachers throughout the pandemic, but not among superintendents, 85% of whom reported being satisfied with their jobs. Meanwhile, just 44% of teachers and 60% of principals said that the stress and disappointments of their jobs were worth it. The most plausible explanation for this, according to our researchers, is that superintendents have a greater distance from the classroom. While superintendents might take the heat at public school board meetings, principals and teachers are more often in the position of addressing parent concerns or, in extreme cases, harassment. Consider the difficult circumstances of the last few years. Superintendents were likely not the ones implementing COVID-19 safety protocols in the classrooms, figuring out how to adjust to virtual instruction, or dealing directly with heightened student misbehavior. So as kids head back to school this month, what can be done to help boost morale among America's teachers and principals? There are two basic steps that school and district leaders could take. First, they should recognize that job-related stress is systemic, and that educators closer to the classroom may experience more of it. Second, they should talk directly with teachers and principals about the sources of stress in their job, and what they think could alleviate them. America's elections are managed at the state and local levels, and are made up of multiple components— voter registration, poll books, voting machines, tabulation equipment, and websites. And all these components are controlled differently depending on the state. This model makes it difficult to develop a national picture of cybersecurity risk in U.S. election systems. To help state and local officials better understand the issue, RAND researchers have developed a method for prioritizing cybersecurity risk in election infrastructure. They focused on three main factors. First, what is the likelihood of a successful attack? Understanding cybersecurity risk requires determining the level of sophistication needed to protect each component of election infrastructure. Second, what would be the scale of impact if an attack were to occur? It's important to understand, for example, if a successful attack would affect a single location, a jurisdiction, or an entire state. And third, what would be the severity of an attack? Severity is measured by the extent to which it would impede election officials' efforts to carry out election processes. If election officials are equipped with the tools and knowledge necessary to assess each of these factors, likelihood, scale, and severity, then they may be able to more effectively direct resources toward the types of prevention and remediation that make the most sense to secure elections in their towns, cities, counties, or states. Finland and Sweden will soon become full NATO members. This reinforces Western unity in the face of Russian aggression. It will also create new challenges and opportunities for the alliance. Rand's Jean Germanovich wrote this week about four important questions that NATO leaders and planners may want to consider. First and foremost, what role will Finland and Sweden play in defending NATO's northeastern flank? Germanovich says that Finland could probably secure its land border with Russia largely on its own. But there are other considerations to be studied carefully, 
such as the use of Finnish and Swedish territory as NATO logistics hubs or staging areas, airspace management, and control of key maritime terrain. Second, what will Finland and Sweden's role be in supporting NATO's nuclear mission? NATO is a nuclear alliance, and the Allies will need to deliberate carefully about how the two Nordic nations could support this mission, if at all. Providing conventional forces to support nuclear-centric exercises is one option that would enhance deterrence, for example. Third, how will these two new members affect the alliance's hybrid warfare and unconventional capabilities? This could be an area where Finland and Sweden could quickly strengthen NATO's competencies, Germanovich says. Sweden has a new psychological defense agency, for example, which was created to combat organized campaigns that spread disinformation. And Finland has a highly regarded strategy for security of supply, that is, a plan for safeguarding the basic needs, material, and infrastructure considered vital to the livelihood of the Finnish population, its economy, and its national defense. Fourth, and finally, what will be Finland and Sweden's role in countering terrorism and other challenges? This is important, as terrorist groups represent a grave threat to southern allies. Finland and Sweden could take an active role in countering this threat, drawing on their experience in NATO operations in Afghanistan, EU missions in Africa, and UN peacekeeping missions. To be sure, Finland and Sweden joining NATO means that the operational area the alliance needs to defend has become larger. But the two countries' ability to make significant contributions in key areas may very well lead to not just a larger NATO, but to a stronger and smarter NATO as well. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on today's episode, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. We'll be off the next two weeks for our summer break, but we'll be back in your feeds on September 9th.